0: When allies fall out, this time it's Britain and the UAE with British forces right in the middle of a diplomatic bust-up. Time to bin the Russian-American missile treaties and start again. Happy Thanksgiving in America, but it's a bad time to say thank you. And the Armed Forces Covenant, what is it and is it any good? The UK's relationship with the United Arab Emirates has been described as fraught after British academic Matthew Hedges was jailed for life for spying. The Foreign Secretary, Jeremy Hunt, has threatened the UAE with serious diplomatic consequences if the 31-year-old is not freed. So what could those be? Well, earlier I spoke to the MP Crispin Blunt, a former chair of the House of Commons Foreign Affairs Committee. I asked him what is the nature of the relationship between Britain and the UAE?
1: Historic and immensely close. Uh, the UAE was a British protectorate until 1971, so it became an independent nation, uh, having had that British protection. And our relationship went back uh, nearly 200 years before that as well. So uh, and and since then, it's been a close and very friendly relationship, Um, not least from the the very highest level between the royal families uh, downwards. So it's completely bizarre that we should find ourselves in this situation.
0: And what do you think about it? What is your reaction to it?
1: I'm totally appalled uh, that a nation that we could have expected to understand us so well and be so close to us, and indeed own so much of London in terms of the uh, investments of the leading members of the Emirati royal families, uh, could have made, could have even contemplated Um, that this academic was somehow operating on behalf of British intelligence. Uh, That that is a ludicrous proposition. And uh, frankly, even if he was, there are former members of British intelligence, and American intelligence uh, in the outer circles of the uh, of the Crown Prince. Uh, um, Just what is going on here? Yeah, you see, you see. And it's very difficult to know one, one. No one knows the answer to that question. But what has happened is utterly outrageous.
0: You say it's ludicrous that he could be put in jail for life as a spy. Are there any other reasons why you think this might have been done?
1: It is hard to discern. Um, apart from the obsession of the Crown uh, Prince uh, with the uh, Ikhwan, with the, the Muslim Brotherhood, and uh, Matthew Hedges has written brilliantly and independently and in a very informed way about the uh, the relationships um, of the equine with all of the uh, Gulf Cooperation Council countries. Uh, and he is a scholar, and he is an independent scholar, and, and and one who grew up and knows Dubai and works in Dubai and knows the United Arab Emirates extremely well. So um, it's rather shocking that someone who is uh, self-evidently so Independent and would understand the sensitivities, um, should have been treated in this utterly disgraceful way.
0: The Foreign Secretary is talking of diplomatic consequences. What do you think he should do?
1: Well, I think we should be focusing on our mutual uh, defence agreement. In 1996, Michael Portillo uh, went to the UN as defence secretary, so uh, I think he was probably going to advanced defence sales for the United Kingdom, but at the same time offered a defense treaty uh, with the UAE, and that's been subsequently updated around a cooperation accord, which has helped support our operations in Afghanistan from an air base there. Uh, but I'm blown if we should be providing a defense guarantee to a nation that treats our citizens in this way.
0: Mr Hedges' wife has criticised the UK, saying that um, they haven't been forthcoming and giving help with this problem, that they put the wider relationship with the UAE as more important. Would you agree with that?
1: There is a serious issue to be considered about how the consular services of the uh, FCO and the UAE have managed this case. Uh, And it may be that the... uh, that what has happened has so surprised everyone that no one has anticipated that anybody could be treated as badly as this in the circumstances and they haven't given it proper attention. Well, they need to review that and make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, But for him to have spent months and months and months in solitary confinement uh, and it needed the intervention of the foreign secretary to be able to get him a mattress, um, then you know that something's gone pretty wrong.
0: That was the MP Crispin Blunt. Well, our defence analyst Christopher Lee joins me here in the studio. Uh, Christopher, uh, just tell us a little bit more about the UK's defence relationship with the UAE.
2: It's big. It's one of the biggest relationships that the United Kingdom has with any other, with the, with the Emirates, than with any other country. Um, the Royal Navy is in and out of there. Uh, alongside there so much that people joke that there are more RN ships go in to the UEA than going to Portsmouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are two squadrons of the RAF uh, flying in and out of tornadoes um, uh, and typhoons, and C 130s in and out every single day. Um, the nineteen ninety six Portillo Agreement was to say very simply: Listen, if anybody comes along and tries to tries to to take over if you're attacked or whatever, or if there's a threat of an attack, will be in there and we'll stand alongside you. A proper defence agreement, and it was really, it was it was pushed pushed by uh, Margaret Thatcher. Actually, that mm. was the the idea of it.
0: It seems that Kristen Blunt was suggesting that defence agreement should be reviewed in the light of what's happening. Do you think that's possible? It is plausible.
2: It is. All sorts of things are plausible. You can actually you can actually say right. We're we we we're, we're, we're reviewing uh, defence agreements. We are going to pull out some of our people there, so you start feeling naked. But you, then you start to, two points. You have to. Come to. There is the fact that uh, this man has been accused of doing things which were uh, probably for British intelligence or whatever. There's an ex British intelligence officer running a big chunk of the Emir's office. You know, everything mm. is that close. The second thing, which is most important, uh, something went wrong in the organization there. It is very possible what happened is that the Emir had agreed that there would be some way of getting him out and probably expelling him or whatever people downstairs people, because there are all sorts of backstairs, gossips, etc and difficulties uh, quite possibly are running their own thing and they're actually challenging and they're using this So you think it's
0: um, someone lower down the food chain going rogue in what they're doing
2: It could be, now the other thing is very, very important which is something which the former uh, uh, Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson never understood at all Anything you do in that part of the world when you've got a sort of uh, a silent sort of silhouette fisticuff going on in, within the Emirate itself, you could damage the chances of this guy being got out anyway. And they just, you, you challenge, you, you push them too hard, even if say, right, we're going to tear up an agreement.
0: But the, the, the current foreign secretary seems very determined to get him out.
2: Current foreign secretary, if you ask around uh, the Foreign Office... So he wanted to know what was going on, wanted to know what had been done, who you've been talking to, who you've been dealing with, who you're dealing with in London, who you're dealing with in third party. Are you using other people within the Emirates to actually sort of try and get the thing sorted? But somebody actually has to take it on the nose that there'll be a point when, if he's released, he'll come out at an airport, it'll be the pictures, mm. and you're, 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 you, you will lose some of your credibility uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's simply a, a foreign office uh, horlicks to start with.
0: Christopher, stay with us. Now, the head of NATO, Jens Stoltenberg, said this week that the Intermediate-Range Nuclear Forces Treaty signed by the US and Russia in 1987 is being undermined by some new missiles built by Russia. President Trump has already threatened to pull out of the treaty because of them. Let's talk to Dr. Beza Unal, a Senior Research Fellow at Chatham House. Good to speak to you today. Are these new weapons what are they exactly and what, what point do we do they ignore and in what way the inf treaty
3: yeah thank you very much now the united states claims that these are new nuclear weapon systems these are missile systems that did not exist before um, and these missile systems are in breach of the treaty that's what the u.s claim is um, specifically if you look at it uh, they actually christopher ford actually named the missile system in 2017 and say said that it was the novator uh, novator uh, uh, company based um the system was called 9m 729 which in the nato jargon it, it is the ssc8 systems the, the, the missiles um, the claim is that uh, russia tested this missiles and the missiles are uh, actually uh, within the range of uh, more than 500 kilometers to 5000 kilometers which normally is the range what the inf treaty bends um, and they say that these uh, the 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 Novator is actually a dual-capable system, and uh, deploying them. And the United States now also claims that the Russia actually deployed these uh, missiles in one or two fields.
0: You say uh, Ameri- cruise
3: missiles. I, I should I should add these are cruise missiles. A-
0: and you, you say that America claims this. Do, do you not? Exactly, believe that they're right in their claims.
3: I actually, if you ask personally, I think uh, they are right in the claims. They should, they have, they say that they have the intelligence, and they show this intelligence with the with NATO and with allies, and the allied countries also agreed with with the U.S. Um, stance. I say that it is claims because uh, Russia d- does not agree that uh, the these cruise missiles actually uh, are uh, beyond the range of what the United States says. So there's a dispute with between Russia and United States in this. Now Russia says that United States did not show the the evidence. Uh, behind uh, such claim that's why I'm saying a claim uh, if you look at it from an you know we call perspective as an anal- analyst
0: and if the result is that the US pulls out of this treaty what do you think the consequences will be
3: well the consequences would would, would be there would be a few consequences uh, I think the most important consequence would be to the arms control uh, and the, to the arms control regime uh, today we have only two treaties that's left from the Cold War era. One is the INF Treaty, and the other one is the New START Treaty. Uh, if you take the INF Treaty out, then you're leaving uh, the environment for dialogue and cooperation between US and, and Russia into a minimum level. And we do not know whether the New START Treaty would be expended after 2021 or not. That is the that is when the that treaty is going to expire. Um, the INF treaty, in current condition, does not work because also Russia claims that United States is in breach of the treaty. So, the, the, so the kind of the there is disagreement from both sides on who is in breach of that treaty. I think it would be m- much better if there would be a dispute resolution mechanism that could put forward and uh, and initiate the verification mechanism as well Christopher
0: Lee our defense analyst is listening to this
2: Christopher- yeah I tell, I tell you um, the president President Trump was saying not long ago that uh, America is going to build as he put it lots of more missiles and we're going to have lots more rockets as he calls them um, and there you've got something else going on here the Americans are working on the development they never stop working on the development of all new weapon systems including, not a counter to the SSC-8, which is surface surface cruise missile, uh, but, but something within the treaty range. And so as far as they're concerned, the weapon systems in the treaty that are covered by the treaty, uh, Americans talk to and they say, well, we really ought to be updating the types of weapons. Mm. We also should be updating the sort of weapons which we imagine that we would need in any new so,
0: Dr. Una, in that light, is it time to draw up a new treaty? Is this actually good timing?
3: I, I, I don't think it's time to create a new treaty, I think it would be good to amend the INF Treaty and and to cover issue areas like Christopher is mentioning, which is the uh, emer- new emerging technologies or a new type of missiles that, that that came out. Now, the INF Treaty, I think, is a bit more symbolic than than material for, for European security, to be honest, because both the United States and, and Russia have um, air launch uh, missiles or, or sea launch missiles. They do not really need need ground-launched ground, uh, ballistic missiles, or they do not actually need cruise missiles. It's, it's more symbolic if you look at it from the European security. We st- Today, we are actually more concerned about hypersonic uh, missiles or the gliders, let me say, uh, who are more um, kind of like uh, could tip the deterrence perspectives. So um, any treaty that, that should come up or an amendment to the treaty should also involve these type of concerns the other concern of course trump mentioned president trump mentioned was about china and that china was not included in the inf treaty Um, The the problem with China is that they do not have cruise missiles and they uh, they rely on the missiles that normally is is in, um, you know, in INF treaties range. Um, And uh, if you think about their national interest and national security, I cannot see any way that China would agree on a multilateral treaty agreement.
0: All right. Then on that note, for the moment, Dr. Beza Unal from Chatham House, thank you for your time.
3: Sit with
0: Still to come, the Armed Forces Covenant. What is it, and is it worth the paper it's written on this week?
4: VFES Sit rep.
0: It's Thanksgiving in the United States, pretty meaningless to us here in the UK, but a big deal over there. And when it comes to foreign affairs, what has America got to be thankful for? Scott Lucas is Professor of American Studies at the University of Birmingham. Hello, Scott. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Can you answer that question? What has the US got to be thankful for in foreign policy?
5: Well, I think many Americans right now could ask themselves in a time of turmoil what they have to be thankful for. And I think you and I could probably go through a a checklist of crises around the world, uh, many of which the US is not necessarily making a positive contribution to. But I think if you strip it all back, back to when the country was created, uh, and setting aside the fact that I have to mention that the Native Americans were sort of peripheral to this, that when the country developed from the 18th century, it was the idea of an empire of liberty. And the idea was that by setting up certain values, by setting up a system in which people could find a way to live together without beating each other up, that that might be a place where Americans could flourish. But it also could be a place that others could look at and as they developed, say, maybe this will work for us as well. And I think at the very best times of America history, I like to think of it that when you talk about, for example, the fight in World War II, uh, against fascism, against Nazism, and the sacrifices that were made, along with sacrifices made by many people from many countries, or when you talk about certain times when there has been the risk of oppression and repression, when individual Americans have stood up and said, look, this, this is not the way to go, such as a Martin Luther King in East Germany in the 1960s, then that's when the value comes out that we all are grateful for, not that this is an exclusively American trait of finding a better way, mm. but that Americans can show others, well, there is good to be had even from the darkest of times.
2: There's another side of this, and that is the belief, certainly in in Europe, I think, where very many uh, Americans have their origins, is that America can do this. America can do it. They talk all the time of, I don't mean after Trump or after, after Reagan or after any other person you didn't vote for, but there's a huge, huge, huge obligation. And the Europeans look to America to say, well, whatever happens, they'll do it.
0: Scott Lucas, um, you mentioned a lot of examples from history. What about since the last fa- Thanksgiving, in the last year, what has America got to be thankful for?
5: I think as Americans sit around with families, <clears throat> as they are in their communities, I think they've got to start and try to find the good that is there in those communities, because I think at the highest level of American society, whether it's defined through the men in the White House, defined by a lot of politicians, defined by the media, it's a damaged society right now, we need to be honest about this, that that notion of community, of consensus and of dialogue, it's, it's not the code that Donald Trump lives by. It's not the code that we've seen in a lot of behavior where instead of trying to make institutions better, people are trying to overrun them. But in all of this, here's what I'm thankful for, and I hope other Americans are as well, and that is the expression from, say, the Women's March of 2017, or to the Marches for Life this year, or to the unprecedented midterm turnout in the elections where people voted not for division and not for acrimony, but actually voted for a notion of tolerance and voted to address these issues with respect, whether it's gun control, whether it's health care, or whether it's a better foreign policy. And that is what I'm thankful for, even though the headlines may be dominated, even today, by someone who tweets with far from positive comments.
0: And Christopher Lee, what do you think Britain can be thankful for? What can we learn from the American Thanksgiving?
2: Um, I think it's it's the fact that it's still there, and that, that that as I say, America is still there. it is still it's not a special relationship. It's a relationship when when it's necessary. It, the two sides, the two peoples come together. But it's an example. It's part of the society which which we which we believe. Um, the British believe in America's dream, probably sometimes more than the Americans do. And I think it's the, it's the example that, that is always there. And that's important because there aren't that many that we follow.
0: And Scott, what do you think Britain can be thankful for?
5: I mean, I've lived here 30 years. And what I'm thankful for is something that goes beyond being defined as English or British It's the day-to-day experience in schools, in the National Health Service, and in when we see the best of Britain reaching out to the world and saying, look, uh, we're in this together. I'm afraid that at this time, just as we talked about America being damaged, there's the risk that Britain could be damaged through, I think, the acrimony around this debate about its relationship with Europe. And I think if we can retrieve the fact that Britain has not been a country of just one people, just one religion, just one race, but then in fact we are much more than that and we can be much more than that. That's what I'll be thankful for, not only today, but tomorrow, next week and beyond.
0: All right. Professor Scott Lucas from the University of Birmingham. Thank you for joining us and enjoy the rest of your day.
5: Thank you.
4: The
0: now, once a year, the MOD publishes a report on the progress of the Armed Forces Covenant, that understanding between Whitehall and the services to look after the best interests of the military. This year's report is out this week, and some of the nickels are obvious, problems with accommodation, but it goes much further than that. Laura Pett is head of campaigns at the Royal British Legion. Hello, Laura. Um, I see there are some concerns about health care. What are they exactly?
4: Um, there are important, uh notable improvements in healthcare over the past year. And it is important that I recognise that things like the Veterans Mental Health Complex Treatment Service is now providing enhanced community-based support for veterans with complex mental health problems. But the Legion is concerned about priority treatment, which was the flagship policy that said veterans get, with service-related conditions can get faster access to NHS care, provided, of course, that their clinical need is not greater than a non-veteran's. From our own research and experience, that policy isn't working as effectively as it could have. It's been around since 2007. But many veterans and health practitioners remain unaware of what it actually means. And there's no commonly agreed process for how to implement the policy within the NHS. And we think that it's really about time that that's addressed.
0: Yes, that's very interesting, because if there is a veteran who should have priority, they're not getting it. Is there anything they can do about it?
4: Asking the question is one of the easiest ways um, health practitioners can identify if someone is a veteran. That starts the conversation off, and there is a process by which you should be able to then flag that veteran on the on the system as somebody who is entitled to priority treatment. The difficulty then comes in that there isn't an agreed or consistent process by which that um, administrators in hospitals can act, give them the priority mm. access that they deserve.
0: And what are the concerns and criticisms does the Legion have?
4: Uh, around healthcare obviously it's concerning in terms of the uh, rising mental health rates um, and that really underlines the importance of high quality and timely mental health services and support for those in need. Um, Other than healthcare, there's obviously still concerns around housing and employment outcomes um, but also some around support for Commonwealth personnel. So obviously the Legion is concerned that those who wish to live in the UK permanently once they leave the armed forces can face a fee of over £2,000 per person to do so and we think that's not fair given that they have been prepared to serve the country and their families have suffered um, ongoing uh, sacrifices they have to make as part of the armed forces community to in, or- in order for their partner to serve. So all
0: in all, taking into account what this report says, do you think the armed forces covenant is working? Uh,
4: yes, <laughs> the Legion was the only organisation to have campaigned for it, so we're obviously keen to see that it does work for our people. Um, when I look back on where we were in 2011 and where we are today, there has been a raft of new initiatives funding streams and policies which have only been made possible by the covenant but that isn't to say that everything is perfect it clearly isn't and so we're looking forward to engaging with the new veteran strategy which was also published uh, a week or so ago Um, and that looks to how we could support the armed forces community and in particular veterans for the next 10 years and and we will look to to raise our concerns there.
0: Our our defence analyst Christopher Lee is listening to this.
2: It's quite interesting Laura in America which I follow with their veterans, and you're talking about it there. There's something like 28 million veterans out of a population of 320 million, right? Um, they get a lot. They are politically sound and savvy, and they use that to get far more than or get through some of the problems I seem to think that our veterans are actually faced with.
4: Uh, Laura, what, what do you think the government can do better? Uh, First and foremost, the the American system is very different to our own, um, but there are definitely things we can learn from them. Uh, One of the things they're particularly good at is gathering data on the armed forces community. The Legion believes and has been campaigning for some time that we could do as a nation much better in identifying uh, and evidencing issues so that we can then target what limited resources there are to best effect. Um, One of the campaigns we've been running, you may be aware of, is our Count them in campaign to get a new armed forces question on the next census. And that would really provide us with the baseline statistics that we need to monitor trends in terms of housing or employment outcomes with our community. And and that's how we will fix some of the problems that we do see in our community.
0: All right, Laura Pett, we'll leave it there for now. Thank you very much for your time. That's Laura Pett, Head of Campaigns at the Royal British Legion. Uh, Let's just uh, return, Christopher, before we go today uh, to Thanksgiving. How do you think Donald Trump will be spending the day?
2: Um, he will be very into Thanksgiving. Uh, Americans are. You've got to remember, Thanksgiving is sometimes thought of as even more important than Christmas Day. Uh, people travel home and by travelling home, it's not just... Because when you heard Scott of...
0: Lucas speaking earlier, he had a sort of quasi- ecclesiastical kind of tone to the way he was talking about it. It is
2: very reverent. People are very thoughtful on uh, Thanksgiving. I mean, i you know, Scott, for example, has got it some of his kids are away at university, etc., and may not get home for Thanksgiving. And that will be extraordinarily important to an American. Uh, they travel thousands of miles, they'll travel a continent to get home for Thanksgiving. And that is something which we, we, we just don't begin to know. And the oranges of it, oranges of, which Scott which sort of uh, persuaded us of, is the, is, is the whole idea of America. And it's something which Americans live with. And Scott says, for example, that's how you get through periods which you don't necessarily want to live through, and such as the Trump thing at the moment. Uh, it doesn't appeal to all Americans, but Thanksgiving—it all—it's almost that knives are down and forks are up.
0: Because, okay. because, as uh, Scott was sort of alluding to, um, it's a time that we're living in where society is very divided and opinions are very opposed looking at the U.S., it's perhaps a moment really for some serious reflection.
2: It is, and you don't get it, for example, in Europe in in, in the way, say, for example, national days. Uh, They don't have this importance where the whole nation comes together. It still separates on all all sorts of issues. But there's something when you sit down with that huge, huge turkey, uh, if anybody's ever been to sort of Thanksgiving... Uh, there isn't a known root vegetable that isn't on the plate. <laughs> uh, the turkeys are the biggest turkeys as you would imagine them to be. Of course. And, but people attack it as if we give thanks for what we have in front of us. And we understand this. And there's one other character the thing that the, the, the president will have been doing. He'll have been saving the turkey. Because every year, one of these turkeys is going to be scoffed in the White House. <laughs> the president chooses which one ain't going to be scoffed and he puts his finger on it and says that one looks too much like me (laughs) i'm not going to eat it and what happens to that one the the turkey is then taken away to the armed forces local armed forces group and they look and no and they look after it and they're very tender towards it it's a very hallowed one because it's a mascot
0: perhaps (laughs) it's
2: been saved by the president himself
0: well on that thought we'll leave it for this week except Um, they eat it later (laughs) Why not get in touch on Twitter? We're at BFBS Sit Rep. While you're online, you can sign up for the podcast. Just search for Sit Rep in all the usual podcast places. I'm Kate Chabot. Thank you for listening. Until the same time next week, bye bye for now.
1: The best of British news, sport and entertainment (laughs) for the British forces overseas. This
2: is BFBS Radio 2. Pressure grows over UK defence.